Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we're with Running Light Ministries, where Peter is now the president, the official <laughs> president. <laughs> I can't, I'm going to just keep saying that. means very little. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very cool. Sorry. Um, and this is episode number 89. Cool. And we are going to be talking a little bit about roles in marriage. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, 2018, things maybe that we learned. Um, and also we are going to talk a little bit about, a, um, a sermon I heard that just frustrated me to the bone. <laughs> and, uh, so we're going to touch on different subjects and topics, and you guys are always welcome to email us with your questions at bo at runninglight.org or peter at runninglight.org and tell a friend if you, um, like w- the podcast, certainly we would love for you to share it with others. There's not too many... Um, Christian people that like to talk about sex, the Bible, and porn as much as probably me and Peter do, but uh, this is kind of what we do. And uh, and the Bible says that um, flee youthful lust, and if you're not, then you're living in utter sin, and you will perish. <laughs> I don't think it says that. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's here to correct me, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, let's go over, uh, let's start with the sermon I heard, okay? Yeah. Now, is there any sermons you've ever heard, Peter, that you listen to and you just go, man, Bo, I didn't like that. <laughs> there have been a couple. There have <laughs> been a couple. Just a couple. Huh? Yeah, just a couple. Because, <laughs> like, there, there, and there's a lot of sermons that, you know, I, I listen to and they'll say things that, uh, about this topic specifically, you know, the sermons about this topic specifically that I'll listen yeah. to and... Um, I really won't like it too much. Um, some of them are good, but they just say like little things that are, that like bother me. But there ha there are a couple that it's just like the whole thing just kind of frustrates me a little bit. Um, it's, it's not a, it's not a whole lot, but I've, I've heard a couple that have like really frustrated me on this issue. Yeah. 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 It can be a little bit frustrating. I think, um, you know, the sermon I listened to the other day, it happened happened to be on the issue of lust. And, you know, and when I think of lust, I think of passages like in Peter. Um, and I'll, I'll flip over there so I don't butcher the text. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Hmm. And, you know, this kind of theme is throughout the Bible, the idea of, um, moving away from fleshly lust, animal-like, if you will, lustful behavior, um, and and moving in a different direction, and that different direction is love. Um, and so the Bible emphasizes this idea of love over lust, but it says war against the soul, and so we, we kind of get our ideas of battle, um, battling f- the flesh from this which some people struggle with uh, when we use those terms. Um, they find them kind of somewhat offensive um, and um, combative, right? And some people don't like to hear that kind of term, those kind of terms. But this this message, um, I think there's things that pastors share from the pulpit um, and 
I really don't mind uh, the actual scriptures themselves and the even the combative kind of idea of love and lust and the battle and get rid of flesh in you and let there not be any hint of sexual immorality and and um, and which this pastor shared those things, but he also shared statistical things, um, you know, and the statistical points that he was making was about the adultery that's within the church and that it's no different from adultery out in the world. And, 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 and then he, he shares, of course, you know, uh, STDs and, 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 and those statistics and, and, you know, so he he builds his case, you know, he builds his case. And, and that's how a lot of people do it, it seems like, with this topic where they're like building this evidence. You know, they're putting this pile of evidence of this is how bad, this is how bad, this is how bad. And, um, and yet they never get to a place of, they never like show a different perspective of it or a different side of it. Um, or um, give people uh, a different understanding of the topic other than this, it's bad, um, you can get a disease, it's going to tear apart everything in your life. Um, and it almost, or it doesn't, it's not almost, but it, it very much comes off of very alarming like uh, where if you listen, when you listen to messages like that, I kind of walk away from it just going, that was really alarming. Um, you know, in the world, what's interesting is the world just keeps going on and on. You know, the world just keeps moving and people keep living and and things like that. And, and, and these kind of messages just come and go. And, and um, uh, but there's a lot of issues that I have with... Um, these kind of these kind of kind of one way one track messages and they seem to leave out to me some of the most important biblical things that just stand out that so i guess some of the some of the issues that i kind of see is that they tend to be um one-sided biblically meaning instead of bringing up like and when you make a point like hey if a, if you bring up a point like if you live like this you're not going to get into the kingdom of god so if you live in sexual immorality you're not going to get into the kingdom of god then you have to in that same message you have to explain why people are in heaven that committed sexual immorality and why they continued in it like to me that makes sense but you can't just say, you know, the famous 1 Corinthians chapter 6 passage, right? That says, hey, you were once this, you were once that, you were once a homosexual, you were once an adulterer, you were once this, but now you were washed. You can't just say that you were once this, you were once that. You know, that if you're living, and then you go to if you're living in that way, then you're out of the kingdom. When we have examples of murderers and adulterers and idolaters that are in the kingdom of heaven because we know that from the book of the new testament book of hebrews chapter 11 which tell, tells us these people are in heaven they are people of faith 
and yet they acted in these ways. So I think in that one way, it it does a disservice because it fails to really answer the obvious and balance the message out and balance what he's saying out. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like usually when I hear passages like that and there's, you know, there's a lot that you said that, you know, I would like to comment on if that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> go know? for it. There's a lot I got there. more too I want to yeah. comment on. <laughs> so the first thing that I wanted to comment on is I feel like I am a um, recipient of messages like that, meaning I'm someone who grew up listening to stuff like that. And I, I feel like I do have a personal testimony in how those things impacted me. And it does go back to kind of what we were talking about a couple podcasts ago about that article, Do Scary Statistics Really Change People? And uh, the if you guys weren't uh, with us on that one, basically the, the, the conclusion of the people who wrote the article is no, they don't. Like in every instance where they try to program to scare kids straight, they ended up becoming worse as a result of the program. Mm. And they separated out the kids in three areas to show to show um, why it was ineffective. The first arena of kids were the kids who wouldn't have done that stuff anyway, right? So when they go through, when someone like this sits through a sermon like that, it's not going to change their behavior one bit because they're already not doing it and they're not going to do it, right? So there are people in the church who aren't viewing porn and they're not, committing adultery and they're not having sex outside of marriage, right? Uh, this doesn't mean they don't lust, but it means that they're, they're not doing those outward things. So for those people, sermons like that aren't going to do anything for them. It'll puff them up and make them feel more proud and arrogant about themselves not doing those things, but it's not going to change their behavior. Um, the second group of people are the people who are already doing those things. Those group of people, like me, when I was a teenager in church listening to sermons like that, and I was already uh, viewing pornography, uh, sermons like that just made me feel more alienated, so they isolated me more, made me feel more outcast in the church. Uh, they they scared me a lot, and it also lacks a lot of hope, meaning a lot of those sermons, if they're like, you're going to get an STD, you're going to go these ways, you're going to go those ways. If you listen to that and you're already doing those things, it could create almost like a fatalistic mindset where you're like, well, I've already started, so that means that I necessarily will become like that. And so then you start acting out even more because you've kind of told yourself in your brain that it's going to happen no matter what. Um, the other way that it can impact you is if you, if you do come out with that alarmist mentality like what Bo was talking about, and you're like, oh my gosh, i got to stop right now. And you leave that sermon and you do good for a little bit, but then you fall back into it. It could lead you to the place of hopelessness and despair of just like, I guess I'll never change. Man, because like I, I just can't stop. Like this guy told me if I don't stop, this stuff's gonna happen to me. I tried my hardest, it didn't work. I guess I'm just never gonna change. Um, the middle group of people are the people who haven't done it yet, but they're they've thought about it. You know, maybe it's been on their minds. You know, they they haven't done it yet, but maybe it's on their minds. They haven't definitely they're not in the group of people that definitely will never do it, but they're also not in the group of people that have already done it. What it does for people like that is there's a, a large number of them that will be excited by the prospect of it, meaning that when someone shares about how wrong or sinful or perverse something is and they start quoting all these, these really dangerous statistics showing like how devastating these things are, what it essentially does for most people is it piques the curiosity where there's something in the human heart where when you hear something like that, when you hear the severity of something like that, there's something in the human heart that says like, man, like if it's that bad, 
there must be something really cool about it, right? Or else <laughs> people wouldn't be doing it, right? So it kind of actually excites them and it interests them and it actually piques their curiosity and it makes them more likely to go into those arenas than before. So those sermons are, are not effective, first off. But the second reason why they would bother me, uh, again, as someone growing up in it, is that I don't think we should look at it from a purely pragmatic sense. Meaning, like, let's say that we could prove that they were, for the sake of argument. Let's say we could prove that messages like this were successful in stopping people from viewing pornography, having sex outside of marriage, stuff like that. Um, would we still want to do them? And the answer is no. Even then, we shouldn't want to do them. Why? Well, there is a group of people in the Bible that taught like that and were successful, massively successful in changing the behaviors of the people around them. We call them Pharisees, right? Very successful. And not just during the time of Jesus, even after the time of Jesus, the apostles were consistently having to fight the mentality of the Pharisees creeping into the church. They, uh, you know, if you read passages like, Read through the book of Galatians, for instance. The book of Galatians has many instances where Paul is speaking to these people who are trying to scare people into acting correctly. Or my personal favorite passage that deals with this issue is Colossians chapter 2, the very end of it. And in Colossians chapter 2, Paul speaks about people giving this message and he says, they say things like, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things of the flesh. And they have in self-imposed religion and an appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in combating the flesh, right? So Paul just very blatantly says, like, this type of mentality is not successful. It's not good. And more importantly than that, it will not lead you closer to God, right? Because in essence, what you're doing, if I'm scaring someone into righteousness, what I've essentially done is I've put them in conflict with their own self-interest. So I've said, do this or else, so now people may be acting correctly, but they're doing it to avoid a negative, not to pursue God, right? Where the motivation of the Christian is supposed to glorify God. But people who listen to messages like that, I've never left a message like that thinking like, man, God is really awesome. <laughs> and I just want to glorify him in my body. You know, I've never messaged. Yeah, most, most people walk away from messages that are really strongly um, against sexual immorality they usually walk away either feeling very guilty or very puffed up. Right. Neither is good. <laughs> neither is good. So, but neither of them uh, have attracted a person to want to pursue God because God is good. Yeah. And there's a way you can sh share things where, you know, the guilt that someone feels, um, you give them an open door to deal with that guilt properly. Right. And, I, and I think that's what I found lacking is, is a second thing is not just the scare tactic uh, of using um, STDs and all this, which I think just, again, catapults people into the, the, you know, the church is just into this alarmism kind of mentality and it, it becomes a turnoff, you know, to, to hear people and messages like that. Um, but um there's the vulnerability that I didn't hear. And, and that was the other thing of being able to get to that Romans 7 place in your message where you're able to say, you know, the things I like to do that I don't do. And that who can deliver me from this body of death? Mm. Um, or that idea of, um, you know, understanding that there is a, a battle within you and and you don't always win it. Yeah. Um, 
And without that vulnerability, the person in the audience who is guilty and should feel guilty, um, meaning guilt is not necessarily a bad thing, mm. um, um, but making someone feel continually guilty and not providing them with the means to deal with the guilt is probably a worse thing to do. Yeah. And, and, but when someone's able to show in the scriptures the idea of, hey, how did these people get to heaven? Yeah. You know, how does Gideon end up in the kingdom? You know, how does Peter end up in the kingdom? You know, and even if you go off of Paul, how does Paul end up in the kingdom? Right. You know, um, off of his confession in Romans 7 Mm. of being a lustful man. And, um, uh, but it's, it's showing, it's also showing a personal vulnerability to be able to, to talk about your own life at that point in a way that brings you on the level of that same human being that's feeling, you know, guilty, um, for, for their sexual behavior. And the other thing that's important is that it, when you when you just say to someone like hey you're you're guilty of sexual immorality because of your adultery or because of your whatever you're doing um and you're talking on that kind of a level and you're not you're not giving you're not providing them with um let me try to gather my thoughts here but it's like um um you're not um you're you're not showing them that what what good sex looks like or you're not talking about the intricacies uh, around a topic of sex that is that is very difficult um to maneuver meaning when you talk about sex in a really simplistic way like you're committing adultery that's bad well what else is going on in that marriage what is that marriage been like what is the sex life of that marriage? What is the non-sex life of that marriage? What is the intimacy uh, issue of that marriage? You know, there's a lot of issues, as we know, with marriages. And, and you know, so when you talk about it in just simple ways of like, hey, the stats are people commit adultery in the church as they do outside the church, and it's because we're not for holiness, we're not for this, Well, no, people are for those things. They would love to do those things, but there's a lot of issues going on in people's lives, you know, that they struggle with. And it, and so when you just hammer at, you know, it's, it's, it's pornography's fault. Well, no, it's not pornography's fault. It's, there's, there's things going on in people's hearts and in their minds and in their lives. And there's, there's people that use pornography for, um, reasons of being sad. There's reason. There's people that commit adultery because they're sad in their marriage. There's people that just enjoy pleasure and they do it for those other reasons. And and there's a multitude of other reasons why people do what they do. Um, and some people are mentally struggling on mo- on so many levels: depression, anxiety. Um, you know, and so. It, it just seems way simplistic, uh, and and it doesn't open up your world 
like it doesn't open up the pastor's world of like what is what is his sex life like what is what is good sex life what what does it mean to have good sex and and good relationships and you know what constitutes that um it just it seems way too simple and maybe us at running light because from our perspective i mean we we talk about these things all the time you know so we're always talking about the different angles of these things um, like, I, for instance, I heard even in in just, you know, secular world, someone say something. It was like I was reading a book and they were saying something about how, you know, um, you'll never you'll never learn like how to kiss from pornography. And and I, and I thought, what are you talking about? Like, what kind of comment is that? That is a comment from someone who's probably never watched porn. Or, or watched a, any bit of porn. I mean, you know, just, you know, because they were making a point of like, you know, y- y- you know, porn's horrible and porn's this and porn's bad. And I, under- and I understand where they're coming from. You know, there's a lot of issues we can talk about with porn and we do. But but to, to keep it that, to say something so simple like that, like, I'll, you know, the bad thing about porn is that you'll never learn how to kiss is ridiculous. There's, there's plenty of porn out there that has people kissing on the lips, smooching. And, and so I don't think that's a good <laughs> argument of why pornography is bad. Um, you know, but it's like when you, when you, when you, Put up that straw man and you just build them up, man, and you just make your arguments and you're just like <laughs> cutting it down. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't really bode well for people that are more educated on the topic and who 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 know that that's just not true. Yeah, it's not even educated from like a scholarly perspective. <laughs> but it's like again, if anyone's in there that's viewed porn. <laughs> They would just scoff at it because they they know it's garbage, you know. And and the same thing could be true for people who, you know, are sitting in a church and they're, you know, committing adultery or like they are having sex with people. So like if I'm someone who is sitting in the church and I do view porn, and I am having sex outside of marriage and I have had multiple partners in my life, which is the vast majority of people in my generation, by the way, you know, like. And I'm listening to this person saying, you're definitely going to get STDs and you're definitely going to get it. I mean, it's not going to do nothing to me because I already know for a fact that that's not true. Right. Right. Because I'm already living in it and I already know that that's not true because it's obviously not happened to me and it hasn't happened to people around me. So obviously yeah. it's it's not a good argument. Yeah. And uh, that's a, that's that's exactly it. Right. People can look at those arguments and people who have the knowledge go, no, that's that's not that's not the case, mm. you know. And another thing that, that that's interesting that I like I like what you brought up is that it, it's it's almost like it, it misses the point and of of the Bible and this is one of the things that that kind of frustrates me probably more than anything else when I listen to a sermon like if there's one thing that like really gets me as like a pet peeve it's when someone takes something out of context um, it just really really irritates me. And all How the about First Corinthians chapter six? Yeah, First Corinthians <laughs> six, six is one of them. That, and I'll get to that one in a second. But that that's definitely one that's taken way out of context when I usually hear people quote it. Um, but the main ones that, that I want to focus on right now, before we get to the First Corinthians six one, are all the ones that it's like flee youthful lust or you know things like that or you know uh, 
uh, let the marital bed be undefiled. You know, passages let, like that. Let there not be a hint of sexual immorality. Right. Let there not be a hint of sexual immorality. And and what people fail to realize is that all those passages, and you can look up on your own time, all those passages are preceded by the gospel. Right? They're all preceded by the gospel, meaning that it's not like Paul ever starts a letter like that. He's not like, hey, what's up from Rome? You know, anyone who's practicing sexual morality, you're out of the kingdom. The end. You know, like he doesn't, that's not how it goes. Every single letter that Paul writes, he gives a presentation of the gospel message and then he brings exhortation. The reason why is because what Paul understands and what we should understand is that if we were to go off of the commands that he gives in the latter half of his book, none of us are making it, right? So what Paul has to get down to us is he has to bring us down to the level where we realize we need the gospel. Then he lifts us up with the truth of the gospel, and then he gives us hope of change through the gospel, right? So a lot of these pastors, when you take it out of context, you're ignoring the first half of Paul's argument. You're just like, don't do this. The end. Where Paul's argument is, we shouldn't be doing this, but we are doing it. That's why we need a savior. And through belief in him, we have a relationship with him. And through that relationship, we can change. Right? So that's Paul's full argument. But they just skip to the end and they're just like, just don't do it. <laughs> right? And that's, that's totally leading people astray. Like it's not helping them in the slightest. And 1 Corinthians 6 is a prime example of that. Yeah. Right. So when you go through the book of Corinthians, the church of Corinth, guess what, was doing everything in that list. So you go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. It says what? Do not be deceived, right? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor sexually immoral, nor sodomites, nor homosexuals, nor, right? And he goes through a couple others and he says, we'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. And they say, see, you know, sexual morality, homosexuality, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. Well, yeah, those are two of the sins that he mentions, but he also mentions idolatry. Could you honestly, could you honestly look anyone in the eye and they would say to you with an honest heart, I have never placed anything before God in my life. Even in the Christian life, like since I've given, I'll I'll even give them since they've known Christ. Say like, okay, since you've known Christ, have you ever put anything above Christ? Right? Any of us who are honest are going to say, yeah, I do that on a daily basis. Man, there are plenty of times where I fear the opinion of men more than I fear the opinion of God. There are plenty of times where I focus so much on pleasing my wife that I ignore the commandments of God. Right? There are plenty of times where I find my value through my work and my ministry. Right? I, I can't possibly look someone in the eye and say, no, I have never valued anything above God ever. Right? That's, that's a lie. Right? What's, what's other things that he talks about? Deceivers. You've never lied. You've never said anything that's not true during your time as a Christian. Thieves. You've never taken anything that's not yours during your time as a Christian. Covetous. You've never lusted after anything. Right? Which, by the way, that word covetousness, it's the word epithemia in the Greek. And it refers to lusting after anything. Lusting after money. Lusting after food. Lusting after power, lusting after beauty, lusting after fame, lusting, right? You're going to literally tell me you've never done any of that, right? And if you say that you've done any of that, then you have to bring it down and say, guess what? You're not getting in the kingdom of heaven because that's what Paul says. Anyone in that list isn't making it in. And if we're all honest with ourselves, we are all in the list. But instead, they isolate the two sins that they don't personally do. And they say, these people aren't making it in. And they don't focus on the issues of the list that they are in, and they never explain that. 
right? And then they move on and it says, and such were some of you. And they say, see, some people were in this list, but then they moved out of this list, mm. right? And the, the assumption is that they moved out of the list through some sort of an outward work. But keep reading. What does it say? Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, by the blood of the Lamb. Right? What's the point of the passage? How did you go from being in the list to leaving the list? Was it through a work? Was it through repentance? No. It was through the washing and, sa- and, and salvation of Christ by faith. That's how you moved out of the list. Right? But if you miss that, then once again, how you're reading it is... Uh, these people won't inherit in the kingdom of heaven, but such were some of you, but you changed. You stopped doing it. That's why you're not in this list anymore. But that's not Paul's argument. It's you were in the list, but the reason why you're not is because of the finished work of Christ, period. Then what does he do? He moves on, and the very next section of the chapter is rebuking the people who are engaged in sexual immorality and encouraging them to stop, right? But by what basis? the basis of the fact that they were already removed from that list and placed into the eternal kingdom of God. And on the basis of their new identity in Christ, Paul calls them to conform to that identity, right? He doesn't say to leave this stuff so that you could become new in Christ. He says, since you already are, this is what Christ can do in you. And then he goes on from there, mm. right? So that it, it's definitely taken out of context and it's twisted. Yeah. In a bad way. Yeah, I think, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And that's context, 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 right? You, you know, it's it's so important. You get in the cart before the horse, you know, in some of those messages where, you know, you're kind of laying down, like, flee sexual immorality, these kind of things. But again, you're never, I like how you say it, you're never really getting that 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 entire context of the, of, of the book and the flow of the book. And that's the important thing about studying the the Bible and these books is you got to kind of study them and how they are, how they're how they're flowing, because um, there is patterns to it uh, that you pointed out so well, which I think is cool. You know, I, I'm always real concerned about the 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 younger generation, um, and um, I know because I came to the church at a young age, at around 17, and. And what kept me in the church at all was just the idea of grace and the idea that God could do something in my life. And um, no matter what the flaws were, no matter what the, the issues are, the sinful behaviors, the sinful inclinations, that there was a God who was big enough to not only do something for me, which he already did, but that he was able to love me the way I am today. And, and, and through just that relationship of love, he was going to do something if I just trusted him and just just trusted him in what he was going to do. And there would be ups and downs and downs and ups, and, and that was okay. Um, and, and, and sometimes there's, sometimes uh, I think of the young people today, and, you know, people, people as time goes on are going to live in different, um, what we call non-traditional ways and and when we say non-traditional we mean without a woman and a man living in monogamy and and this this and the reason why i bring that up is because the minister was talking about monogamy like it was it was actually easy to be in or not easy but he seemed to say that like natural natural for people to be in monogamy and it be like easy or, or, you know, kind of work. 
And, and that kind of frustrated me too, because if there's anything we know about monogamy, it's that we all are very non-monogamous. Yeah. Um, and, and that shouldn't come as a shock. And that's what kind of blows me away today. Like in 2019, minister, uh, a minister can, can be shocked that people commit adultery. And, and, and it's like, I'm like, whoa, like that just blows my mind. Like we read on the third page of the Bible that people um, rebel against God and go their own direction and everything goes. Hmm. And by the time we're at the fifth, sixth page of the Bible, we already have polygamy going on yeah. with a guy named Lamech. So um, things are already going. And by the time we're on the 10th page of the Bible, uh, uh uh, you know, 11th page, 13th page, we already have uh, a guy sleeping with his daughters. <laughs> you know, I mean, so it just, it just, it, it's, it's, these are all very early on in the biblical records. Right. You know, this, these ideas of very non, non-strict monogamy sexual relationships that are going on. Right. And even in the New Testament, again, like I'll bring up 1 Corinthians 6 again. I encourage every minister just to read through Paul's rebuke of the Corinthian church and realize what he's rebuking. The people in the church were having sex with prostitutes and beyond the having sex with prostitutes, they were justifying it using scripture. Mm -hmm. They were like, man, like, you know, God created the stomach for the stomach for food, the food for stomach. I have a sexual urge. Why not? You know? Yeah. So they didn't see anything wrong with it. So, and look at how Paul deals with it. He doesn't like, I am shocked. You know, (laughs) like I am, I'm amazed that you guys would commit sexual immorality. That's, that's insane. That's like a beyond anything. Like you're going to get an STD. You're going to get an STD. (laughs) Sick people. (laughs) Like the way he rebukes it is so interesting. It's so different than the way you hear ministers. I know his, his rebuke was sitting there to say, man, don't you know that God has done this? (laughs) (laughs) You know, don't you know God? And he gets all into theology. He does. And it's really cool because I I love Paul, man. Like his rebuke in 1 Corinthians 6, I believe, has been like a a guiding light for running light. You know, it really has. Like our ministry has really gone off of what Paul said there. Because what he does is he, first of all, he first brings about the purpose for sex. That's his argument. He's like, there is a purpose for sex. There is a goodness to it. But it's only when it's performed in a particular way to reflect the glory of God. And from there, he moves on to a second argument saying like, okay, so you shouldn't do it because that doesn't reflect the glory of God. Because God has one bride. He enters into one people. He's not entering into everybody, right? He has exclusivity. So you should too. But then his second argument is so cool. He's like, didn't you know you're bought at a price? Right? So what's the second argument? Like, dude, God has sent his son to die for you and he loves you and you're in a relationship with him. Like, don't you know that you're highly valuable in his eyes? And so is your sexuality. So honor God with your body. Like, that's a second argument. It's so radical. It's so different than what I hear from the pulpit today. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, man. I mean, you know, you think about that. And, and, I mean, that's great. And, and, you know, you think of young people going to churches— Today, you know, people always complain where, where, you know, why does the, ch- why does young people not want to go to the church? Why do young people not want to go to church? Why, you know, and it's always, it's always like, well, they don't know, they don't know how to critically think, you know? And so, you know, you got J.P. Moreland writing books and you got Frank Turek writing books and all these people writing books and, which is great. All these, you know, apologetic books and, and critical thinking. And, and there's a place for that. And I think it's really important. Yeah. Um, and I also, uh, have to remember that people that are coming to church and bringing their kids to church, no matter what 
uh, school or environment they're in, if they're in the world, then they're in a world that's constantly changing when it comes to even ideas of sexuality. And, and, and you know, you have kids that come into church today that are familiar with different terms for sexuality. They're f- familiar with different identities, sexual identities. And when these things are spoken of in a very trivial, negative way, putting down or, or you know, um, in like really moving the uh, a polarity, you know, separate, you know, like this is bad, this is good, and it's always in those terms, then there's only, there's only one thing for the young people to do, and that is they don't understand what you're saying. They do, it doesn't make any sense to them because they're not used to that. They, they're, 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 that's not their culture. You know, they're used to talking about sexuality in much different ways today. You know, when you go to school today, you know, people are very aware of sex and sexuality at, at, the, at younger ages today. And I know people will go, that's bad, that's horrible. But, but that's, when you say that, though, that's bad and that's horrible, see, all, all of a sudden it becomes, like, adversarial. Yeah. You know, so some young person's in a church and they hear you say, it's horrible that they teach you this in school. Well, how, do, how am I going to respond to that if you're in the seventh grade? What do you say to that person? You don't say nothing. You don't want to say nothing. You're afraid to say anything because all they're going to do is just criticize you. Yeah. They're just going to criticize your culture. And see, when you, when you just put down over and over and over a cultural, even a cultural norm, you know, you know, there's, there's, I mean, you can't, all, all you can do is just be like, hey, you know, and if you're not from the church, um, uh, if you're not used to church people cutting loose and talking negative about things, it's not going to make much sense to you how they're talking. It's going to seem very archaic, very elementary, very non-professional, um, um, and very non-scholarly. You know, non bigoted, non yeah, non intellectual. Yeah. It put it puts it right in the rank of bigotry and racism, yeah. in all those terms. You know, and that's why I think a lot of people in the world struggle heavily with Christianity today. Um, um, and it's not so much for what we stand for. I think as people, you know, as far as standing, like in a sense for our God and standing for things that we believe are righteous causes. I think it's probably more for the way we approach dialogue on these kind of topics. Yeah, yeah. I always think of First Peter too. It's, it's a very helpful passage where Peter <laughs> talks about the servant being disciplined by his master, and he says, "Man, if you're disciplined for doing the right thing, man, that's awesome." He says, "But if you're disciplined for being a jerk, like what credit is it to you or the kingdom?" Right. So essentially, what Peter is saying is like you could get. People might withstand you for doing the right thing, right? You might, like, if, if you, you can use all the gentleness in the world, all the best arguments in the world, and the people of the world re- are still going to reject you because they obviously rejected Jesus. However, a lot of times as Christians, we hold that up as like a shield, almost to say like, oh, see, they're just persecuting me for my Christianity, when they're really not. They're persecuting you for being a jerk, you know? Like, that's, that's really why they're persecuting you, you know? So, like, they're not... They're not so much upset with what you're saying. They're upset with how you're saying it. And so because of that, once that happens, they actually forget about your whole argument and all they remember is your demeanor. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it detracts from the gospel, and it detracts from the words of Christ. You know, and this is this is kind of my point, is that, you know, if Paul were alive today, I have no doubt he would think that we're weird. <laughs> you know, he it, meaning the, the culture is so different and in, in ways, not in every way, but there's certain things that are just different. And, and the way technology has, has changed culture and the way we view life because of technology and the way, meaning, you know, even the way we view sex because of technology, people go, well, what do you mean? But well, what I mean is that, you know, sex has changed over the years. You know, sex, you know, meaning sex today, uh, a person understands uh, how to have sex or how to enjoy sex much more today than they ever have because they have more information on the subject. Uh, meaning back then, women didn't have a lot of rights to figure out their sexuality or figure out what they enjoy in, in sex. But there's things that are cha- have changed in our culture there's and 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 not only is our is our ability to understand a woman's body and a man's body um, much more than what it was back in the day, but we have also movements that have happened to free women and to have rights for children and these kind of things that has, has all radically changed the way we think about things and. And it's, it's led us into even how we look at sex today, which is different from the way people did. And, 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 and so I guess my point is, is that, you know, try, you know, when, a young, when, when the younger generation is coming into a church, um, you know, what's important is that we do share the Bible and we do share what the Bible is saying. But what I think what we can't do is we can't utilize extra biblical things um, like cultural arguments, like STDs or statistical things of adultery or these kind of things. To if we think those things are going to persuade someone to go a different route or something like that, I think then we kind of really diminish our testimony. Mm-hmm. I think all we can do is just share what the Bible says. And let people wrestle with it. Uh, let people just fight over just the biblical text itself. And, and, and I think if I got anything from Chuck Smith, I really have enjoyed a lot of times just his simple, you know, going over it really simply and not elaborating too much on too much, you know, um, which seems to, um, you know, distract you know, and it's hard for the younger generation to be around, um, you know, people that, especially today, this younger generation, especially, I'll tell you why in a minute, but to be around the church because the church is, is so negative on things, uh, so critiquing, easy to critique in negative ways. Um, but it's because today people have to remember that communication happens not just physically, but digitally. And many people can connect with many other people through a computer or through a phone. And you can connect to communities that way. And there's, going, there's so many inviting communities today that it's very difficult to give up inviting communities 
to go to a community that is going to be negative and you're, you're going to walk away from that community constantly feeling yucky. What's that one proverb where it's like better a, better a bowl of soup where there's joy <laughs> than a hearty meal where there's resentment or right. something? You know the one I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah, it's so true, man. <laughs> like better, better something meager, you know? And that's, that's how I felt too, you know, in the church where it's like, yeah, I was, I was hanging out with friends that weren't encouraging me in a good way and not a good life but at least I didn't feel condemned around them, you know? Like, at least I felt accepted and cared for. Yeah. You know, so it's like, uh, and yeah. It, and it's like, we don't want, pe- we want, I mean, I want people in the church to, you know, there needs to be conviction. Mm-hmm. Sure, there needs to be repentance. Yeah. Sure, there needs to be, you know, but it needs to come from the Holy Spirit and from the work of God's word. Yeah. And, and you know, not through my just getting on my soapbox and and pulling out statistics on how bad something is, Right. or what's going wrong like with this culture like what blows me away is people always say the culture is going to hell in a handbasket but man like have you have you ever read history i mean have like that's what i don't understand is like history you read history and look at all look at the cultures from back in the day hmm. you think those were good like i i don't know about you but i read about the old empires and what cultures were like and i'm like man dude it was k it was gnarly <laughs> You know, back then. Yeah, say the least. Yeah, and 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 it and it's like when I think when people say, well, the you know, the culture's awful, you know, and going bad, and it's getting bad to worse. Like that's, re- and I always think that's really strange since Christianity is growing. Does that mean Christianity's creating a bad culture in the world? Is that what we mean when we say, oh, the the culture's horrible? So, well, Christianity's growing in the culture, so maybe Christianity's the problem. Is that what we mean? Well, no, that's not what they mean, but they never think about it that way. Christianity, you know, is growing in the world. It grows and it's growing in Africa, it's growing in China, it's growing in the Middle East. And, and, and it's amazing. There's amazing ministries in Europe. There's amazing ministries in the United States. Uh, there's, it's just absolutely mind-boggling how many cool ministries there are all over the world um and to see christianity's growth and so what i don't understand is if christianity's growing and and jamming and we're packing out coliseums at outreaches um you know when things are happening in churches we have all these mega churches and you know things are growing and things are going then then why are we always so negative towards everything you know, it, it, to me, it's like really a, a weird oxymoron that's going on. You know, we're, at one minute we're saying the world's going to end because everything's so bad. But yet on the other end, Christianity is, is spreading. And so you, you try to answer that, Peter, for me. Yeah, I think, I think we all uh, believe that about our own generation. Because we only, we see, we're always very egocentric. You know, everyone is. You see things through your own eyes and you don't see the world. You know, it's hard to see the world in history. So it's like, you know, when people say like the 50s, they say like, man, like things were so great. It's like, really? You know, I'm pretty sure that 
you know, schools were segregated back in the fifties, you know, like I'm, <laughs> right. pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that it's like, you know, it was pretty bad. You yeah. Know, a lot of yeah. Like you it. read Philip Yancey and he yeah. talks about his church being like a full blown racist church. Yeah. You're like, man, that doesn't sound good. It's like, man, you think God was really happy about that? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, he's like, he's like, man, but they're not looking at porn. You know? That's, like, right. Like, That's right. <laughs> That's they're, right. They're you super know? racist. They're super racist and they, <laughs> they hate people. You yeah. know, but hey, they're okay. I know. So yeah. it, it it always throws me off. Like I don't, you know, I I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but I have. It's yeah. they you know. talk about the Puritans. I'm like, you know, they burned people at the stake, right? You know, <laughs> like you know, like, man, <laughs> things were better. Right? Back then. Or you read about Saint yeah. Augusta or uh, Augustine, and yeah. people always go, "Man, he was awesome, dude. Augustine was amazing." You know, and and I think, dude. Really? I mean, yeah, he wrote some cool stuff. Don't get me wrong. He wrote some amazing things, but some of the stuff he wrote too was really weird <laughs> and really, really awful against, um, you know, women. And, uh, and and so it's like, I, I think of those things and I just go, wow. And, you know, so you have 13 year olds that are in junior high and, and they're taught, they're taught about misogyny. They're taught about these things so they can spot it like they spot it like that. And they come to the church and guess what they see? Misogyny. That's right. Yeah. They see it. You know, they spot it. They go, boom, they're educated on it. So it's like, it's something that they look at and they go, ugh, that's, that's, that's not love. And they're right, it's not love. Hmm. And thing is, is when you have 12, when you have teenagers that can spot out your junk uh, when you don't think you got any junk, you know, that's always a problem in a family, right? when the teenager spots your junk as a parent and you as a parent go, I don't got any junk. What are you talking about? But yet if the teenager knows you got the junk and can see it and is educated on it and feels like they can't talk to you about it because you ain't going to, you ain't going to see it, then what are they going to do? They're just, they're not, they're going to walk away. So anyway, we're going to get to other things in the podcast. Like we're going to do a little update on what we learned in 2018. Um, which is always fun since I teach at Pima. I always have cool things that I learned. But um, anyway, we'll we'll end it there, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.